Hey, and welcome back to the Dot 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 Podcast. Uh, today's episode is one that I've been looking quite forward to for, for a while now. Um, my guest is uh, my good friend, Melissa O'Rourke. Melissa is active duty Air Force as well. Uh, her and I were, were stationed in uh, Japan together for three years. Um, and she's just that person that I've got in my life that I can, I can reach out to. She's kind of like, like my sounding board professionally. And, um, you know, we, we just got a lot in common as far as our drive and, and what we're, we're after, but she has a really unique perspective on all that because, you know, being a woman in the air force, um, she's outnumbered by men, which isn't really that big a deal, but definitely something to be, you know, cognizant of. So she's got a really cool perspective on that. And, uh, had a great conversation with her, getting a chance to just pick apart some things. You know, one thing I, I love about Melissa is that she's a thinker. Um, I am too. You know, I, I like to think and talk about things to to sort them out and make it make sense for me in my head. And she is definitely one of those people too. So uh, I hope you enjoy Melissa O'Rourke. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, Melissa O'Rourke, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Pretty good. Can't complain. Um, I want to start off by saying thank you for doing this. Um, you're definitely one of the people that I know in my life that I I value your opinion and your perspective on things. And when I decided to do this podcast, I was like, I definitely want to get Melissa on here at some point in time. So appreciate you taking your time to do this. You got it. I'm excited. A little nervous. I've never done anything like this before, but um, pretty excited to be a part of it. And I've listened a little bit, so I um, am even more impressed with what you've been able to accomplish. And, and it excites me to be a part of um, what you're doing. So thank you. So fl- so flattering. You have, <laughs> you have a, a, great, a great way of, of twisting things to flattery. So I appreciate that. But before we can go any further... If you have listened, you know we have to knock out some icebreakers so people have an idea of who you are. And I'm going to hit you with the first one. What is your favorite place that you've ever been? You know, I've listened to a few of your podcasts and heard this question, and I still, for some reason, I've been to so many great places before, and it's so hard to narrow down to a single isolated place. Um, But for many reasons... um, I'm going to revert back to the vacation location uh, response. And for me, um, it's especially important because my family also agreed with this. Um, so a few back in April, we were able to take the family to Bali. Nice. And, yeah. And we had a nice 10 day vacation where we just really just spent time together and explored. And my kids were so happy and we were happy and we relaxed and it just was amazing. The people and the culture there, just a great place to visit. It, it just really made us all happy. My kids still to this day are like, let's go back to Bali. We want to go back. We want to be, we want to be in Bali. We miss Punia and, and Putu. That's awesome. Yeah. My, my experience was absolutely the exact same. Um, there's something about the culture there that's just, they're very welcoming and, the things that are there to be seen are 
just they're otherworldly. You know, they're totally unique from from what you would see, you know, going to a Disney park or something like that. So, yeah, absolutely. Yep, I agree. Very welcoming, beautiful island. Absolutely beautiful yeah. place to go. Great place. Can't recommend it enough. Everybody go. Uh, you'll love it. And it's cheap. So um, cheap. Yes. <laughs> unreal. So what about aliens? Do you think they exist? Wow. Yeah. Um, so I just for kind of a little perspective, um, I have a very difficult time grasping the intangible. Um, and okay. so while this plays a big role in, in what I believe in and what I know to be true in my mind, um, there is part of the the belief of things that I don't know and, and the awareness that there is so much more that I that for me that I, I am not aware of, I haven't explored. Um, you know, I've watched things, I've read things, but for everything you find something for, you find something against. Exactly. Um, so I think when it comes down to it, it's my my feeling is that there's probably something out there. It's probably not something that we see or hear or read about um, in terms of, you know, the what we perceive to be an alien in movies and such. Um, but somewhere out there, there's at least the capacity for it. Um, and, you know, maybe it's not there right this second or, you know, 10 years ago, but maybe hundreds of years ago or even, you know, hundreds of years from now. So as of right now, I say no. But I okay. do believe that there's there's the capacity for the existence. And I do believe that um, that maybe sometime there will be, if that okay. makes sense. What? Yeah, absolutely. Like one of the things I love about that question <clears throat> is I personally am curious. And I, th- you know, I kind of align to that, too. Like I I don't believe the narrative that has been that it's been written that there's a little green man with gigantic eyes and a big head. Right. And like, a, and he came in on a flying saucer because one person thought that idea up or I mean, maybe there's the possibility they saw that and that's what it actually is. But I'd like to think that it's so much like, we don't know, like we have no idea. It could be, you know, an alien could be like a planet full of little crabs or something like that. And technically speaking, that meets the, the parameters of alien life. Um, but I just, I don't know other intelligent life possibly uh but it's just it's so big it's so unknown and i think i like the way that you worded it that you have a hard time grasping the intangible like that that's brilliant that's one of my favorite reasons i asked that question is i like to gain other people's perspectives on it so that i can further develop my own so i think i'm going to put that little uh that verbiage in my tool belt that you know i can't grasp the intangible yeah, I think the other the other piece for me um, with that is I don't have a very good imagination. If I'm being completely honest, like I can't imagine really? <laughs> what it would look like, what it would be like other than what's been fed to me throughout my life. So for me to believe a sci-fi movie or, you know, somebody's um, conspiracy theory and then somebody else to debunk it, it's just really right. confusing. Um, and so I just I would like for there to be something a little more concrete, something, like I said, tangible that I can make sense of, um, rather right. than trying to project this thing that I'm not aware of at all. Right. I mean, and, and anybody could make up anything about anything, anywhere, anytime. And that in itself has to raise some speculation when you start talking about alien life. Like, 
because it is so far unknown how much of the details that somebody might be giving are actually you know made up exactly so, um so a celebrity that you most identify with but i'm, I'm kind of changing this up a little bit of course you would celebrity, change it up for me <laughs> well just a, just a little bit so I, well, I, I think more than anything, I'm giving people options, different ways to answer it. So celebrity that you most identify with, celebrity that you most want to hang out with, or your spirit animal. Oh, okay. So you're giving me options. I was, I was saying, right, right, right. of course, same, you would change it question. when I thought about this. Um, you know, one of the things that made this difficult and one of the reasons why I really wanted to think about this is I have never been one of those people to like be obsessive or like want to be, you know, celebrities or these people that, you know, have these, you know, mystical versions of lives that, you know, we don't really know how they live. Right. Anyway, with, the, with that being said, um, you said so it has to be somebody either I want to be or spirit animal or not, or I identify like with. Be, yeah, I mean, because you know, like you, you just actually made a good point that you're not the type of person that you know holds them in super high regard or something like that, right? You don't have a like you don't fangirl over anything. But is there somebody that like maybe the way that you want to answer the question is somebody that you. Uh, you identify with like their their take on things or somebody that inspires you somebody that you would enjoy their company for a day if you were given the opportunity yeah so that that one i can easily narrow down um it might sound a little cliche but maybe more 10 or 20 years ago um oprah oprah winfrey really yeah so um when i was growing up uh, i was a big fan of watching everything about her um all of her shows and then later on she did some specials that were like behind the scenes shows and what i found uh that i gravitated towards with her is her ability to connect with so many different types of people yeah and she has she's not one of those people that you know went to college and got degrees in psychology or sociology or philosophy or anything of that nature uh, but what she was able to do was understand people read people connect with them and she built this phenomenal brand from it. And I don't want to be like her because of the brand she built or because of the success she had has had, you know, in the world or, you know, on television or whatever. I, I like the fact that despite her lack of education in that, you know, common sense, um, she she just understood people and she did phenomenal things for people. And she would have these conversations, and I just remember sitting there thinking, like, she's so insightful. Yeah. She gets these people to open up. She understands how they think, how they operate. She gets kind of down to the nitty-gritty of who they are. And and she and when you watch some of the behind-the-scenes, she's really real with, with a lot of them as well. Like, she's called a lot of people out for doing some some things that weren't the most appropriate or, or the most um, professional. And... I just think back to the, those times watching those and thinking like, wow, like she, she's good. Like she's really good. Yeah. She, you know, I think that you could probably say she's just very emotionally intelligent. I would she agree. Knows what she, she knows what she knows about herself, but she also, she, she's good at reading other people. And that's definitely a characteristic that is very envied, you know. I agree. Um, keeping your composure and... Um, you know, knowing how to read situations. I think it's invaluable, especially to, you know, 
being successful in any way. Yeah, and I think there was some rawness to her as well that she wasn't sure how to navigate. And unfortunately, being in the spotlight, she um, had to had to answer a lot of questions. A lot of it had to do with her her confidence, her self esteem, her weight, her you know her goals, her yeah. her personal life, all of that. You know, and that comes with being a celebrity and being in the limelight. Um, but I think it it helped people to understand like she's human and she she struggles just like the rest of us, but. On the the whole other end of the spectrum of all the phen- phenomenal things that she was doing is is way, worth way more than you know those those um, human battles that we that we are often f- faulted for if that makes sense. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, public image is huge, and especially considering the time that she was coming to fame. You know, like women weren't as empowered. She was kind of leading that charge, so I could see that being as a woman, I could see that being like something impactful for you maybe so 100 percent, and that and that's you know um one of the other big reasons you know watching her be so successful and be the top of her game i mean at one point i don't know if it is anymore but she was the richest woman in the world um and she still is she she might be i know there's a few others that have managed to um to gain some headway in, in that department but yeah i mean just the success that she had in in she is one of those self-made that really started from the bottom and made it to the top. Cool. So the best binge watch of your life. Final question. Ooh, binge watch. Um, I've had so many. Uh, we've had so many amazing shows that we've watched. Um, we watched the f- we binge watched the first three seasons of Game of Thrones, so that obviously turned into what it is now. Um, and unfortunately, it's coming to an end. Um, yeah. I binge watched, and this one got me through some times when I first, you know, uh, joined the military. Was Sex in the City? It was a very oh really yeah. It was the most entertaining, um, sometimes powerful, sometimes cringeworthy, sometimes just downright like um, reminiscent of you know being with my girlfriends. Uh, let's That's see what funny. else. Yeah, there's so many. I, I we right now we're we're binge watching Dead to Me, which is a little bit dark but hilarious. Yeah. Um, all the true crime stuff. I binge watch all of that. So those yeah, are yeah, the yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. True crime. La- is my my wife, Lacey's like completely into that stuff. Like, if anybody just got murdered, she's gonna invest her entire life into watching it. Yeah, her and I have talked a little bit about some of the you know, the true crime stuff in the podcast and all of that. So yeah. share that. So give me your life in three minutes. <laughs> Paint that picture. All right. So uh, let's see. Where do I start? Um, grew up in, I was born in Tampa. Only was there for a little bit as a, as a baby. Uh, the rest of my family was in New York. Grew up in Schenectady, New York, which is just outside of Albany. Um I was adopted when I was actually in high school, which is something that a lot of people do not know. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, so lots of history with that. Um, yeah, I can only imagine. High school, went through high school. Um, actually, official adoption was September 11, 2001. Um, oh, so, my gosh. Yeah, I was 17 years old when it actually happened. Um, took years for it to process and, and such, which there's a lot yeah. of log- logistical pieces when it when it comes to paperwork. And I never knew my oh, father. Completely. Yeah, I never knew my father, so that had to go through its um, the workings. 
uh, when uh, I went to college, I went to Temple University in Philly for a year. Um, at that time, I had some family circumstances that um, brought me back home. So I came back home after my first year, and I kind of went back and forth in and out of um, community college and and working. I bartended, waited tables, did the you know late teens, early twenties um, type of jobs. The college jobs. Yeah, absolutely. I made tons of money as a bartender. I was living the dream. You know, sleeping till you know, three or four in the afternoon, and then rolling over <laughs> and getting out of bed and doing the same thing over and over again. The vampire life? Yep. <laughs> and one day, uh, my friend and I decided to go on spring break, and we didn't want to come back. And I said, oh, I got something's got to change. Like, I can't keep doing the same lifestyle. And I was, wasn't even 21 yet when I had made wow. that decision. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I said, you know what? I'm going to join the, the Air Force. Because rewinding a little bit, I almost joined my high school, uh, or my senior year of high school. And okay. I, I had a boyfriend at the time, and my senior year of high school was September 11th, so my family was really, you know, struggling at the concept of me leaving, going to the military. So Absolutely. Fast forward those couple of years, and I thought, yeah, I'm really going to—I wasn't in a good spot with my mom at the time, and I said, I'm really going to stick it to her, and I'm going to go in the military. And with so, your biological mom? No, with my, my adoptive mom. And I, okay. said, I said, one day we were fighting, and I said, you know what? That, you know what? I'm just going to leave and go in the Air Force. There you have it. <laughs> and she goes, good. It's about time you did something with your life. <laughs> Dang. Uh, yeah. Called so you out. She sure did. Yeah. And in uh, that 2005, um, I left and joined the Air Force and struggled those first couple years and stuck with it. And uh, almost 14 years later... I'm here. Of course, in the in that time, I met my husband at our first duty station. Uh, we had both of our children there, my daughter, Ada, and my son, PJ, and then uh, moved to Okinawa back in 2016. And here we are, about a little less than a year left here, and um, looking forward to what where this next part of our adventure uh, goes, whether it's back to the States or somewhere overseas. That's awesome. So, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize the... I think I'd heard one time before that you were adopted, but I didn't realize that you were adopted so late, uh, so late in your life. That's, I mean, that's not very typical, right? It's Um, not. No. Um, I did when I was eight, um, my, my, we left my biological mother. Um, and so I moved to a foster home that I was in for a very long time. And then my freshman year of high school, I moved to a temporary foster home. And then from there, I moved. Um, I was my actually my adoptive mom. Interestingly enough, she and I had known each other for a long time because she was friends with my previous foster parent. And so okay. she, her and I had grown a bond because I had babysat for my sister before she was my sister. And um, she she said, hey, you know, um, are you how do you feel about me adopting you? And I was like, this is wonderful. This is great. You know, like I know her, I love her. I love, you know, my sister Adrian and, um, I could move back to my hometown and it was just perfect. It was a perfect mix. Yeah. So that was my freshman year of high school. And then we never looked back. That's crazy. Yeah. But you said you guys, you guys kind of had a little bit of a rocky, rocky phase when, right before you joined the military. We did. Yeah. I, um, I just, just your own maturing or what? It was. I, I don't think I had a regard for anyone or, uh, 
I would come and go from the household all the time. Uh, at, I would come in at three, four in the morning and go to bed and then sleep all day and then leave. And I never really paid attention to the things that were important, like my family and, and you know, dinners together or, you know, vacations or anything like that. It was just very much I was doing whatever I wanted from the time I came back from college to the time I left for the military. And I think I think that part's super interesting. Like Lacey and I had toyed with the idea of adoption for a period of time and not out of any means other than kids need homes, you know, and um, but there's I think there's a thing like a, there's a piece to it that's scary. It's definitely a concern, especially if you have biological kids in the situation where you're you're adding this other person to the situation. So um, and and I think part of that is you don't know um, how to make that person get over any insecurities that might be there. I'm guessing and maybe I'm just speculating that you were acting that way because you didn't feel completely like you're a part of it. So you did, therefore you didn't feel like you owed anything, you know, to, to them. I think you, I, you hit the nail on the head because I, I remember saying something along the lines of why would I show up or why would I go to this if I didn't feel invited or you didn't, you know, ex- overextend your invitation and ask me to come. Um, it, it, almost like I was the victim in this scenario where, you know, we had to meet both ways. But definitely, I think there's um, any child that has some instability throughout their their upbringing is going to take some time to f- really feel like they're a part of a family or really feel like they are, um, you know, welcomed and, and loved. And, and, you know, and I would venture to guess there's probably always going to be a little part of them that's still kind of, depending on how old they were, were when they were adopted, of course, that never right. truly feels like they fit into it if that makes sense yeah no my my uncle uh my uncle was adopted but as a baby and he he has been a complete and total train wreck for my grandparents his entire life um he you know he's turned out to have all kinds of mental illnesses and stuff like that that were they were going to be there regardless of you know if he stayed with his biological parents and stuff like that and i think that's another fear that a lot of people have with adoption is like what am i going to Am I going to get a defective model? I mean, it sounds really cold and insensitive to say it like that, but you know, those are, I mean, you don't, you don't know that, that answer either way, if you're having a biological kid or not. But, um, I don't know. I just, I think I, I like to kind of disprove some of the stigmas of, of adoption. Um, because I mean, for a period of time too, Lacey and I almost adopted her, her little brother. Yeah. Um, we were working on that. He was in foster care cause her, her mom wasn't, uh, in a position to take care of him and we were doing everything we could but I mean we weren't probably the most ideal candidate to even apply at that time you know he was uh man how old was he? he's like 14 or 15 and I think uh Lacey just turned 20 or 21 and I was you know a few years older than that so you know we didn't have stable jobs and all that kind of stuff so it was just really it was really bad but I I felt completely like called to do that you know I was just like man somebody needs to help this kid get turn his life around because he's just going to become a product of the system unless somebody takes a chance on him and he's getting older you know he's in his teens who's who's going to take that chance so it's I think it's interesting to hear your story because obviously thankfully somebody you know took that chance on you yeah it's um very difficult to get 
adoptive parents on board with adopting kids, period, when they're a little bit older, because the process is, how do I put it? So basically, a lot of the situations are the the children have to go into these foster homes before they even get an opportunity to be adopted. And so if right. a parent wants to be a, an adoptive parent, so, so in my situation, for example, my mom had to become a foster parent in order for me to move into her household first. So essentially exactly. for four years or three plus years of my high school life, I was still her foster child. Um, right. And while it was good in some ways, because, you know, she gets additional income and things like that, um, there's still that, like, I'm not officially her daughter in, in terms of oh, yeah. the legality of it, right? It was good for us because we knew I wasn't going to go anywhere. There wasn't, I wasn't going back to anyone. My parents, my birth parents didn't have rights to me anymore. However, these other children that go into the foster care system and people would like to adopt them, it becomes very um, questionable whether or not they're actually going to be able to be adopted because those parents still have the opportunity to rehabilitate and get and get their children back. Well, a lot of these parents, they'll rehabilitate a couple of times before it, the, the court system actually tries to um, take away their rights. And, of course, it varies from state to state, and, it, and it's very dependent on the circumstances of the families. Um, but in the time that I, that I lived in a foster home, I saw many children that went back to families that just were not – it was, still wasn't right for them. It, it still wasn't going to be a healthy situation. And we had to say goodbye to these children that were doing – that would have been much better off in the foster home rather than being with their families. Um, and then on the other end of that, you bond with these children and you, you want to take care of them. But they just want to be back with their parents. And their parents might rehabilitate once or twice. And they still keep going back. And they become very confused. And it's very difficult for them to bond with the families that they're a part of because they – still have that hope and that belief that they're going to go back with their biological families. I mean, at least what I see, I could only imagine, I would think that it would be not so much like wanting to be at either location A or B as much as it would be that they want to be out of the system. You know, maybe. Is there, is there I, any truth? Like, is it is it torture? Does it feel torturous to be part of the system at all? I don't think, I mean, at least for me, I mean, I was, uh, uh, you know, eight, uh, at eight years old, I had a pretty good understanding. I grew up a little bit faster in that sense, but I didn't care about the term system or the, the term, you know, foster care or any of that. For the longest time, it was just about being back with my mother. Right. You know, for the first couple of years anyway. And luckily, I was maturing to a point where I could recognize the reasons why it should not happen. And I was able to actually contribute to the fact that I did not go back to that situation um, because I knew what was right and what wasn't what was wrong at that point. And I was able to draw the connections between what I had seen prior to going into foster care and what they were telling me was happening. If that without going yeah. into some of those details. And so no, for yeah, me, yeah. I, I was very conscious of the fact that I was having a better life just being in a foster home. I was having a better life despite some of the things that probably shouldn't have happened and probably are still happening in many foster homes. I still knew right. that I was in a better circumstance than going back to the home that I was in. Gotcha. Um, and so we were almost going to go back there. We were almost going to go back and live with my birth mother and her, her boyfriend. And it just 
things happened and I called them out and I think I was maybe 10 or 11 years old at this point. And um, after that, it it was very clear it was never going to happen. Um, and then they moved, right. for, moved forward with the termination of her rights. Um, and when they did that, it, she they gave her some options and she actually gave up her rights because of that. Um, wow. And so, yeah, unfortunately for about... So my freshman year of high school, she was diagnosed with brain cancer and um, uterine cancer. And oh, wow. Yeah, and she went through some some remission, but four years later it came back, and, and she passed away when I was a freshman in, in college. Um, so, oh, okay. Yeah, so she, she you know, we made amends and all of that, but... The, yeah, the that was going to be my next life, question. Yeah. You know, before you, you said that she had passed, that was going to be my next question, is if you guys were able to salvage any sort of relationship... Uh, as you grew up, but so I mean that answer. If you guys were able to kind of find some amends to it, like that's that's good stuff. Absolutely, and and I think the other saving grace to my situation because you know you made a comment earlier about there's some some hope in this in this uh, in the system and in in the children that are in the system. I think the part that helped me is. The big piece for me was that I did have a very good relationship with her when I was little. And I had a very, like, we bonded and we had a very close relationship. Unfortunately, there were, uh, you know, when you start getting involved in certain things, they, they have a, a, a bigger control over you. And so right. as I got older and, and I was, a you know, a young adult, my understanding of how you know drugs and alcohol work on on people and you know the choices that people make as a result of you know drugs and alcohol having a control on them i i couldn't hold it against her anymore and i knew that i knew that she loved me i knew that that was very clear but i just knew that she did it that wasn't strong enough to overcome all everything else that was that was holding her back right there's a a chemical that was that was a third party in that that was fighting and winning probably Absolutely. Absolutely. That's well, appreciate you sharing that. Um, I do, I do want to hit on like just you in general. So I kind of alluded to it in the intro. Um, you know, I really hold your opinion high. Um, I'm, I'm motivated by, you know, seeing what you do and your ability to grab yourself by the bootstraps and, and move on and get things done. And you take initiative for things and you're probably one of the most driven people that I know. And like, where, where do you think the origin of that is? You, you kind of hit on, you know, you know, looking at somebody like Oprah. So that's kind of cool. Like I can see where there'd be a similarity there. It's not like you're, you found, you're, you look up to somebody that has a, a totally different direction and path than you. Um, so you've, you've identified that kind of spirit animal, but like, what is the fire inside that, that gives you the drive and the initiative to just to go 100 miles an hour and be so, uh, you know, to strive for excellence for everything. Well, first, thank you, because that was that was really nice of you to say. Um, <laughs> that's yeah. Thank you so much. I, you know, I don't know. I think about it sometimes. Um, I remember when <laughs> a funny story to the start of my career, if you will, in, in terms of my work ethic. I worked at this ice cream shop when I was maybe 14 years old. 
and we had to have your working papers and and I was only allowed to work certain hours. Um, but I had this boss who he owned this ice cream shop and he also owned a pizzeria that was right next door to it. And he hired me at this ice cream shop and I worked as many hours as I could and I would come from sports and I would go work at the ice cream shop. And then I would go to school the next day and, and we, I had this manager and this manager, she just was really bad. She didn't show up on time. She didn't really do what she was supposed to do. Um, I guessed that she was doing drugs or something as well. I don't know what her deal was, but I remember going to, to my boss and I remember saying to him, you know, I, she's just not cutting it. She's not, it's, she's not capable of doing anything. There's not, there's something wrong with her. Like she's, she's not showing up on time. She like, she doesn't know how many of this works. She's selling things for the wrong prices. She's not cooking. I'm going to go ahead something. and call her crappy. <laughs> and I asked him, I said, why don't you just make me a manager? And he looks at me and he's like, he's like, what you, you're, I, I don't remember how I was maybe 14 or 15. He's like 15 years old. How can I yeah. make you a manager? I don't even know how that's possible. <laughs> and I was so offended. And I just, I don't remember if I argued with him more or what. I probably did and told him, you know, how it didn't matter how old you are. It was about what you were capable, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah. he just wasn't buying it. Um, however, when the summer ended and the ice cream shop shut down, he did call me back and he asked me to come work for him at the pizzeria where I worked for several years. Um, through I worked for a couple of years through high school and even a little bit after high school. Uh, so I think it started young. I think I just I just knew I wanted to work. I knew that I was capable of it. I've always been a multitasker. I've always wanted to be successful, but I just I didn't really have anybody on each side of me saying, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Um, you know, do it faster, do it better, be stronger. I didn't have those people. Um, and so I had support from people and I had people I could confide in, but never really anybody that was like consistently by my side or consistently in my ear telling me to kind of fight harder or, um, what direction to go. And so I just kind of had to find it. I had to find it within myself to, to figure out what it is I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it because I knew I was smart enough to do it. I mean, you know, we all go through standardized testing and we all, have to go through school and all of that. So in yeah. terms of the in terms of the measurement piece, like I knew that was there. I just okay. didn't know where I wanted to direct it. And I still don't. I mean, to, every day I think about what I want to do, you know, a- after the military. And, Amen. Um, yeah, I still don't know what I want to do with it. But I, I just know that wherever I am, I just want to do the best. And I also have that piece that um, I just don't like disappointing people. I don't. That's, that's perfectly insightful. Like I, I completely get that too. I am constantly, almost maybe to a fault. Like I'm always in fear that I'm gonna, that I'm gonna hurt something, offend something, um, disappoint. I think is the biggest one that I don't want. Like, because I remember like growing up, you know, I'd get in trouble or something like that, and it was you know nothing huge. You know, like you know coming home twenty minutes later than I should have, and you know, that scared my parents or whatever. I wasn't like a big troublemaker or anything like that. But, um, I remember I never, like anytime my mom was ever like mad at me, it didn't really, I mean, it kind of phased me a little bit. Like my dad could yell at me at the top of his lungs and why would you do that? And it would be a little intimidating, 
But nothing was worse than when my mom would look at me and just say, I'm so disappointed. It's like, oh my gosh. Like she said a couple words and it completely crushed me. And, but somebody could fly off the handle at me and it really wouldn't, really wouldn't matter. So I, you know, I think that disappointment thing is somebody believes in you enough for you to have the respect to deliver on that. I think that one's huge. I I know that's internally for me, that's a big one. Um, you know, I've always, I'm a big picture person. I, I can't even think about how to do like the little picture until I understand what the purpose is. Um, what is the big reason we're doing this? You and I are different on that. And I was thinking about this recently, um, because we've had a lot of conversations about, you know, career and choices and, you know, different directions and things like that. And what I've realized is that you always have this big picture, like long range understanding of where you want to be, how you want to accomplish it and kind of some of the different directions you can go to get there. Whereas I'm a very short range. I'm going to do all of these things within these next couple of months in this next year um, without necessarily any foresight beyond that um, in any concrete way anyway. Yeah, that part is crazy to me because I would feel like it would become overwhelming having to course correct in the moment. But, you know, obviously it works for you completely. But I I think part of me in the big picture is I have to, I just have to know why something is happening and what it's part of, what it's feeding. Otherwise, as I'm doing the small things, the minuscule things at the bottom, I'm like, what is, like, I get caught up and I get stuck in why am I doing this? Like, what's this for? What is it? Like, what is the bigger purpose to this? And I mean, it was like, it, I've always been like that. Like I needed to know those tiny little details about my hockey team, you know, or, uh, all the way up to, to my career. Like I have to understand what the expectation is if I get, so I think of it like this way. Um, let's say that the, the highest level I'm going to reach is whatever, right? So just name some, you know, some fake measurement that here's the top. I have to know what's expected of that person at the top. If I'm going to even waste my time to, to aspire to get there. Because again, if I got up there and I wasn't qualified or I wasn't capable, then I'm going to do nothing but disappoint everything down below. If that makes any sense. It does. And that's, and I think that's, uh, very almost the opposite of what I do. And, and Which is so crazy. you're, you're far more rational in that sense. Whereas I'm, because I, I just put so much all the time on my plate that I like being like, whether it's task saturated or, um, just whether it's projects or people, whatever it is. And the fault of that often is that I'm missing the whys and the details. And I think I could be doing certain things much better with more purpose if I took that time to really like evaluate each piece of it. Uh, But I think just the fact that I'm always I just always want to be a part of everything. And I've always been that way. I just want to like do it. I want to be a part of it. I want to keep a lot going. I and, and for some reason, recently things have kind of started to fall in more into place. But I still don't really have any foresight outside of the next year. Well, yeah, I mean, you're getting you're in a position, you know, getting ready to move. You don't number one, you don't know location. Number two, you don't know what you'll do when you get there. There's there's a lot of variables. I was in the same one just before I left um, before I left Japan. And I'm right back at it now because I'm seven months away from leaving here. 
and there are a there's a zillion factors that could play of what's going to happen in the next seven months. So I don't know what future Corey is going to do, <laughs> and that part bugs me. You yeah, know? I think the the other piece for me too is um, my husband and I both have goals. Um, and both want to do things and get to certain points in our careers and our lives. And they're very different from one another. But at the same time, we have to be very aware of what we want to do and how we want to get there because we have to align those as well for our family. And so there's times where I'll be like, oh, well, maybe I want to do that. And so we'll talk about it. And then I'm not willing to, to for him to lose out on an opportunity or him to lose out on something at, uh, with how do I put it so I don't want to take away from his opportunities for my own self just for your sense. own gain yeah absolutely and I did right. that once I mean for four years I kept us in one location uh, where you know I don't think he was the happiest because he was kind of stagnant in, in everything that he was doing because he was in the same place for nine years and wow. that was my fault. And, and he, you know, he was he was a trooper. He was phenomenal about it. And we, we made it through. Um, but it was it was hard sometimes to see, you know, that the lack of commitment and motivation, despite his ethic and his desire, he just was, you know, over the, the whole concept of everything he was doing. And I well, get it. I, I would I would have been especially the in the military. In the military, it's like that's that's forever. Like that's eternity. It nine is nine years, nine years at one spot. Like my, my fact. sister. Yeah. My sister looks at me like, you know, how, how can I, how did, how do you live your life without any security like that? And I'm like, well, that's a different kind of security in the military. But like, um, I'm, I'm a little afraid of that, to be honest with you, like being in the military and moving around every, every few years and, and changing things up. Like I am a little afraid that when I'm done, as ready as I am to plant some roots and, and say, this is, you know, this is where I'm going to reside. Um, there's a little bit of like pressure that comes along with that. You know, maybe it's the big picture thinker of me. Like there's some pressure that comes along that, I mean, I hope, I, I hope I get there and I like it. You know, like I, I've been kind of helping Lacey decide what she wants to do. And my biggest piece of advice for her is like, Hey, take the time to make sure it's what you really want to do before you work for it. Like if you, if you don't know, um, you know, like what you're going to be doing and like completely, you don't know what you're striving for, but you have to do all the work to get there. Make sure you know what it's going to be. So I don't know. I'm, I'm personally a little scared of, of getting out and staying someplace for a long, long time. Cause I don't know that, that I'm wired for that. I think military members in general have that same fear. And, and sometimes it, to the detriment of, of people's happiness and successes when they get out of the military. So I definitely think that that's where you have the advantage in that you're a planner and you, and you look far enough at, in advance for all of those things. Um, and you and Lacey have a good thing going cause she has, she wants to work towards something she wants to do. And then you're going to figure out what you want to do on the outside. So kind of doing that together and planning together is helpful. As for us, I don't know. I mean, I have my degree in something that I'm like, maybe I don't know what I want to do with that. You know, I, maybe yeah. I want to get another degree in something else that I'm more passionate about. Or maybe I won't need to because maybe there'll be a jobs out there that I'll be able to use that degree but still do the things I really want to do. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, and people also, I mean, I think one of the weird things to, to accept as we get older is that 
at least this is kind of the advice my dad gave me was people don't necessarily like long term in life they don't like end up in things that they chased they end up in things that they fall into like they find that they have a talent or a passion or a skill or some sort of experience in a certain avenue and next thing you know they're like oh wow I'm the vice president of this at my company right you know like you can you can definitely guide yourself and drive yourself to get there but like I'll tell you right now, like I'm 37 years old. I would have never in a million years told you that I would be in the military, you know, going, going back to age 20. I don't know that if I've, if I've told this story on the podcast yet, um, I was 18 or 19 in, uh, when nine 11 happened and I was working at a car dealership, uh, you know, cleaning up all the new cars as they were selling and stuff like that. And Total dead end job, but it worked at the time for, you know, a 19 year old kid that just wanted to party and hang out with his friends. And 9-11 hits and me and my friend Greg go to uh, this restaurant and we're sitting there and we're just watching it all happen on the news. And he's like, he's like, dude, we're going to get drafted. Like, this is the next big war. Like, hands (laughs) down, this is this is a big deal. And that just didn't align with my plans. <laughs> and I remember did you, telling him. Did you him, think he was right? Did you believe yeah. that as well? Okay. Oh, yeah. I was definitely fearful enough to think that that was a possibility. Because, um, I mean, if you look at, like, the the cycle of everything, every, you know, what? I mean, technically, we've been at war for over 100 years right now. But, um, you know, big wars come along every 15, 20 years, right? So, it's like, well, it's about time for one. So, yeah, I could see that happening. Not to mention the scale and magnitude of an attack like that, you know, hadn't been seen even close since the closest relatable thing is probably Pearl Harbor, you know, um, maybe the Oklahoma city bombing, but that was domestic. So anyway, we'll go in. That's a whole other story. But anyway, he, he was like, I think we're going to get drafted. And I said, no way, dude, like not me. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go to Canada or something like, I'm, <laughs> Oh my God. I am not joining the military. There is no way. Nope, that's not me. I'm not wired for it. No way, no way, no way, no way. And here I am. And um, and then he, you know, he, he never joined the military, which was funny because at the time he was like, he's like, I'll gladly go defend my country. And I was like, not me, man. I was, you know, I was just wildly selfish in, in my youth. And uh, so, yeah, it just, I, I, you fall into things, I think, and I think that's what happened with me, at least for for this phase. And I'm hoping that something else I fall into just as naturally as this. Well, I think we I think people and maybe um, it's an American thing. uh, We have this this idea that we have to know and understand what we want to do forever from when we're children. I remember being told, you're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be a doctor. You're so smart. Those are the things you're going to do. And I believed yeah. it because I was like, okay, well, I'm smart enough to do that. So that's what I'm supposed to do. And so as I was finishing high school, I started to realize, I don't know if I am mature enough to, one, know what it is that I really want to do. And two, ha- be responsible enough to put in the amount of work and effort to get to those places to be a lawyer or a doctor or something of that nature. And it became very clear to me, it was going to take me a lot longer to figure out what it was that I was passionate about and what I wanted to do. And I've, I, as I get older, I'm a little better at it, but I've always been less of a, um, a rational thinker and more of a, an emotional thinker. Um, both on the, uh, both from internally and externally, you know, I, I find myself to be pretty emotionally intelligent as well. And that's helpful in 
making me successful despite the fact that I sometimes lack that rational piece. Um, so I knew that it was going to take me a lot longer to figure out what it is that I want to do, what, I'll, what will I be good at, and what will make me happy. Um, because I knew right. I didn't want to do anything that was just going to make me miserable and make me unhappy. Um, and well, I was willing to one... have some unhappy years or unhappy times to figure it out, but I think that's the misconception that we have or the, the thing that we um, – unfortunately due to do our to our children and to, to society is put that pressure on them to decide so quickly without really experiencing the world and figuring out what it is that they're passionate about and that's gonna make them never feel like they have to work a day in their life right no I, that's that's like one of the reasons i advocate so much for for the military i personally think everybody should do a year or two i think we should do it like the israelis but um it, I think for a lot of people, it offers you the so many perspectives simultaneously. So you get to see what it's like to actually just have a, a like a consistent job. You know, like a lot of people get they they go to high school and then they go to college and they get help and support and then all of a sudden they come out and now they have a job, and that's overwhelming to them. Um, so you, you get to see that. You also get to see what it's like to be accountable to something. You get to experience, um, you know, being performed um, or being evaluated amongst your peers and the hierarchy system that goes along with all those types of things. And then if it, and, and if that's not for you and like the actual culture of being in the military isn't for you, then you get out and you, you kind of have a little bit of life lessons in your, in your tool belt, uh, that you can apply to maybe another chosen path if that's where you want to go. So I, you know, that's one of the huge, like I'm not trying to make it a recruiting session, but I, I truly do believe that. Like, I think there's, there's a, a, an opportunity that we're giving by serving that we get to kind of, it's like a waiting room, but it's also a chance to, to try things out while simultaneously experiencing life lessons. Yeah. I think the responsibility factor in itself is definitely one of the top bonuses of being in the military. You come out of, you know, if you come in at 18 right out of high school, you, the military is going to make sure that you're financially stable, that you are capable of, of taking care of your house and your quarters and your family. And, um, you're, on time and you follow directions and all of those life lessons that sometimes we see, you know, 18, 19, 20 year olds don't necessarily have that yet. And, you know, that some of them, some people are capable of doing that simply by going to college, but you get an advanced set of those skills when you come into the military. And if you don't, you're going to get corrected pretty quickly. Um, and I think that for me, that was one of the most helpful pieces because I was, you know, living this lifestyle that had no rules or no boundaries and you know time wasn't didn't even matter other than being at work and making sure I did my job everything else was just you know whatever whatever I wanted to do whatever I wanted to do with my money I came in with the worst I had I was so financially unstable unstable when I came in the military it was yeah, bad I, <laughs> mine 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 was uh, as bad as it can be like same uh yeah the worst of the worst so <laughs> it's uh you know I'm, I'm very fortunate that you know, that they took the chance on me. And then, uh, you know, fortunately I've been able to, to correct that, but you bring up the whole, you bring up a good point. So you got like that 18, 19 year old kid that you were, I mean, you were like 21, 22 and you joined, but that irresponsible, not ready person that you were. And then you got that person that you are now. And 
the level that you're at in your career, your main job is to take care of those people. So like, is there like, how do you leverage that? Like I have that experience, but those people that you're trying to help understand that they don't know that version of you. They only know the now version of you. Um, how do you make that connection? You know, if you asked me this maybe nine months ago, it was a much easier response. Now it becomes far more difficult. And I say that primarily because I moved up a little bit more in the past nine months. Uh, right. So I would I would say nine months ago it was it was easier because I had more one on one interaction and I was able to share a little bit more and and um, be a little bit more transparent on, on an every day basis. Whereas now it's a little bit more deliberate um, and it comes at different levels. So from the position that I'm in now, what I've been trying to do and, and I've been challenged a few times um, and, and now I can say in a good way. I've been challenged a few times to stop, share some of my experiences that might have been negative that helped me turn them into a positive. And that right. transparency and that ability to open up and kind of be vulnerable to um, somebody that I'm leading or, or even a peer for that matter has really allowed me to um, connect a little bit more. And show the human side versus the robotic leader that like supposedly does everything right and, and follows all the rules and this, that and the other thing. Um, because at the end of the day, everybody has a story. And that's just the fact of, of, of who we are as people. And, and I try to reiterate that every time I sit down with one of my people and say, you know, like, I understand that you're different than me. I don't want you to have to do or be expected to do the same things that I did to get where I am today. But I want right. to be here to help you get there. And I want to give you the tools if, that you would like to use to get where you want to be. And then I also want you to know if you don't want to be where I am someday, then that's okay too. Just be open with me about it and let me help you be the best version that you would like to be as long as you're staying at that standard or above. Um, and so I think um, I sympathize a lot because there's not a whole lot that any of the people that I'm leading do that I, I that I either haven't experienced myself or I haven't um, seen many times and had to help with. And then I also find that um, I'm an empath at heart. So I find that that is very helpful. And I've I'm working on it in the sense that sometimes it's a fault of mine as well. And some of my peers have said that um, I need to, you know, kind of balance a little bit more. Um, and that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm always open to that, that feedback and, and the adjustments yeah. that come along with it. Um, but yeah, I think it comes down to transparency. It comes down to, um, I talk a lot about dignity, you know, like we're people, we're, we're, yeah. we're humans, we make mistakes. Um, I do. I fail all the time when it comes to responding to certain things. And I look back and I like put my head down a little bit and I think, oh, I could have done that so much better. Yeah. And I can't always redo everything that I've done, but I can sometimes go back and, you know, kind of reflect and talk about what I might have done wrong. And um, it's helpful that I have a lot of people that I can, you know, bounce things off of and, and get some insight on, which is hard sometimes because that again puts you in a vulnerable position and and it makes it difficult to um 
open up and admit that those faults and those failures. So I struggle so with you, that, but I'm getting a little bit better. Do you carry any kind of insecurity with the fact that you are in such a male dominated uh, workforce? Like, I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like a cliche question. You're a woman, you're in the military. Like, how is that? Um, and I don't mean it necessarily like the, you know, like the, like sexual assault or anything even close to that. I mean, just like just general day to day stuff. Do you think that, that women are, are held in a lower spot or do you carry any kind of insecurity with that? Or do you think that there's an advantage that you might have because you're a woman? So if you asked me this, the first 10 <laughs> years of my career, if this was a question came up the first 10 years of my career, I would have argued up and down that there's no difference. We get all the same. I mean, we have the same pay scale. We have really the same opportunities to get to the same places as a male that we would have as a female and vice versa. Right. However, some of the nuances and the technicalities of how we get to those places, especially as you go higher up um, in leadership, definitely there's definitely some, some differences in how we deal with things. I'm sure you've heard the whole, um, the way people explain, you know, if a woman says it, she's considered a bitch, but if the male says the same thing, he's considered powerful. Yeah, exactly. I've always I've always paid attention to that and I've always kind of kept it in the back of my mind. And to be honest with you, I I've I keep it in the back of my mind to the point where I don't say things like I would like to say them out loud. Like I will not speak the way that it is in my head. If that makes sense, <laughs> I will. I, I think that's one of the reasons I really look up to you. <laughs> I, I will st- I, stop. <laughs> I react. But the difference is, is you can get away with, and, and I'm projecting a little bit here, but um, yeah. most of the time you're going to get away with it more than if I were to say it. And and some of it comes down to individual personalities, and some of it just comes down to, um, you know, we still have a a societal uh, perception of what a man and a woman should be who how they should speak and how they should act and and in the military it's not as defined and it's a a hell of a lot more subtle um yeah and in some ways i i'm not fighting for i'm I'm by no means a feminist um i do adopt some of the the ways that feminists think but i i i do have some very traditional values and i and i like that and i stick with those However, I do expect and would love to go to work and feel that I could say the same things that my male counterparts could say without feeling like um, there's any sexism associated with it. And It's funny you say that because, I mean, I'll, I'll speak to that from the other side. I think that as a guy, there, there are things that I can't say. Or there's ways that I can't say things. And I'm notorious for it. Like I say stuff and I can just tell half the stuff that comes out of my mouth that I just just robbed any confidence and belief that somebody had in me the second I said what I said. (laughs) It happens all the time. I'm like, oh, shouldn't have said that. I just pissed that guy (laughs) off pretty good. And um, so I think 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 that just comes with being a professional. Right. Mm -hmm. It just comes with being a professional or being an adult is you know, checking, checking your emotions at the door. So you don't include too much of your, your emotional, um, 
your stance on something from an emotional perspective, you you're kind of expected at this at this time and at this level to just give your 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 logical uh, interpretation of what you're talking about. Yeah, and and so the the I've only had a couple of experiences in my career where. Um, I don't even think it was a, an extremely overt sense of sexism at all. Um, just times where things were pointed out about specific individuals throughout, you know, the past several years of my career where it's just like, oh, well, it almost seems like it's as a result of you being a female. And I have to take a step back and, and think about it like, wow, I never I, I don't even consider it because it's not even something that sits on the forefront of my mind. I feel like I'm successful regardless of of the fact that I'm a woman or not. Um, And so for me, it's not really something that I consider or think about. Rather, it's something that's been brought to my attention a handful of times. And as a result of that, I have to I have to do some digging and and thinking about, you know, how I interact with people and whether or not I want to let that impact how I lead. Um, And so far, my decision is um, I am who I am. I'm going to continue to support my people the way that I do. And and I think it's only fair that I make adjustments the same way I would as if I were a man or if, if you know, being the woman that I am um, based on real, you know, tangible things that are happening or not happening um, based on learning or growing, not based on just being a woman or just being a man. Yeah, it's. Have you ever heard of. Sorry, I, I no, want to say ahead. one more thing. Have you ever heard of Sheryl Sandberg? She's the COO of Facebook. Yeah, 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 yeah. She was, yeah. So she wrote this book called Lean In. Um, and last year, um, I, I, I made this, one of my New Year's resolutions last year was to start reading more. And I wanted to start reading more, both on a, on a level of reading for fun and then also reading to, you know, be a better leader and person, et cetera. So she was the first book that I chose on the professional side of it and I was a little apprehensive because like I said I don't really buy into a lot of the feminist uh, practices and and ideals however I knew that she had a phenomenal reputation in this book was was renowned like everybody loved it so I read her book and I for the first time ever really truly understood how subtle being a woman in a male-dominated workplace is and how much um, sexism actually exists that people don't even understand that they that 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 they're perpetuating, and it's not oh, yeah. because they're bad people. It's not because they, you know, are trying to make people feel bad about themselves or women feel bad. It's just, you know, we're still kind of working through this whole, you know, paradigm shift with roles and you know this here. Um, where we are, where I am now, is the first time in my whole career that I have multiple friends who the woman works and the father stays at home. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's phenomenal. It's so awesome to see and to watch the support and watch the the success. I mean, these are some of the most successful women, and I just get so proud. Yeah, I, I, you know, going back to binge watches, um, the binge watch I've had lately is Mad Men. And I oh, think yeah. yep. it's a, it's a great, it's, there's great stories in there and there's some funny stuff and there's just, it's a good show, but I think it's a really interesting like case study in how far we've come, you know, just seeing what a woman's role was in, in life. And then especially in business, you know, 
I think you said you've seen it before. Yes, yes, I have. So, like, the character Peggy, the fact that she goes from being just, like, the the low level here, you know, here you go, sweetie, getting her ass slapped by, you know, some drunk businessman to to getting to the point where she's, like, up at the top, you know, was just unbelievable for the time. But also then consider how far we've come from that even still. And I think it's just awesome because... Um, I think little stories like that, like not forgetting the past, help you appreciate where you're at now. Because in the end of the day, it's just like civil rights, you know? It doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter what your race is. You can, you, can you do it? I'm asking you to do something. Can you perform? Because that's all I care about. It doesn't matter, you know, what you look like or what you're made up of to get there. So, But um, you want to know what I've, what I've concluded, um, and maybe it's not totally conclusive but what i'm uh what i've been thinking about lately and these are solely based on my experiences um a lot of times it doesn't necessarily the 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 sexism or the um the mistreatment whatever it is it doesn't necessarily have to do with somebody's dislike of men or women per se and maybe, maybe I'm right or wrong on that. I don't know. But what I think is happening is there's this, you know, so you're a man in the workplace and you have your own relationship at home and you have, whether you have power at home or you don't have power at home. And this goes the same for women at home as well. Um, sometimes that carries over into the workplace. And so if you are having, if there's an instability or there's a circumstance at home where maybe your wife has more power or you feel powerless at home and then you come to work and you have a boss who maybe corrected you on something or maybe is telling you how you're supposed to be doing your job or how you're not doing your job correctly, whatever it is, that becomes a real issue that that individual has to work through. Um, yeah. And I've seen it a handful of times and not necessarily with me, um, Every time I've seen it with other circumstances, too, where, you know, you hear those people will make comments like, oh, they have no power at home with their wife and they come to work and they act like, <laughs> you know, like this tool. And, you know, yeah. I think sometimes that translates to um, the workplace when they have a, a female boss. And so for me, I like to be familiar with that because I can't change their their home life, but I can at least try to empathize with a circumstance and, and maybe take a step back and say, hmm, instead of, you know, coming down on them or talking to them this way, maybe I can come at them in a different angle and show them that it doesn't have, you don't have to be defensive or you don't have to be, you know, angry that me as a woman, that I'm your boss or that I have to tell you what you're doing wrong or right. Like, let's do this together and know that I'm here for you. Like, I got your back. But that, that brings up, you know, goes back to what I said about, you know, you like you're, you're emotionally intelligent, you know, you take the time and the care to figure these things out. You don't just let it happen. You don't carry around an insecurity with you. And I think that's why, that's why I look up to you so much because you've sanity check everything at the door before you even approach it. Whereas I can't say that for even, I mean, even for men, you know, like it doesn't matter if you're a man or you're a woman or you're black or you're white or, or what, if you're not able to, to check that, that's one, you know, it's just going to be a, a further hindrance on the situation. Um, you know, not going into any specifics, but you know that there was a person that I worked with where, where you and I used to work together and it was just nonstop butting of heads. And I wasn't bringing any sort of, uh, 
you know, uh, bias or, or like a prejudice or anything to that relationship. That was my superior and whatever, you know, I, you, I got to do what I got to do. But the only thing that did frustrate me was the way that everything was being provided to me. It was so, it was abrasive. It was rude. It was careless. It was all of the above. So therefore then I, then I developed this disdain. And so you see people like that and then they just make, I don't know, they're just making waves in the situation. So because you're so dialed in, I think that's why you excel the way that you do is because everybody can see that about you, that you're not confrontational in that capacity. If you do have to create confrontation, you do it tastefully. Um, do you find that you have people like I lean on you all the time and ask for your advice and stuff. So obviously that's kind of a testament to that, but do you get like people asking you from the female perspective? Um, do you have like females that look up to you in that regard that, that want like a how-to manual from you on how to navigate the complexities of not only, you know, checking it at the door, but also um, doing it as a woman because maybe they carry an insecurity that they think all women might have. You know, that's a good question because uh, I, I find myself so wrapped up in the desire to have one for myself that I sometimes don't remember that I have women that are also looking to me for that and right. that's helpful in itself. Um, so I think so. There's a couple, especially over the past uh, year or so that's, that have definitely, we've talked a lot more and, and some of it was solicited and some of it wasn't. Um, but I think the the big thing for me is that I've made so many mistakes as a leader in the past and reflected on them that now I just, I really, really try so hard to reflect with someone. Um, even if they're not giving me enough depth or enough response to help me work through it, just talking about it and not flying, you know, into a situation unprepared or emotionally checked. Um, if I can just at least have that one person, that's more helpful than just going at it because it does, it does hit you. I, I would, I can't say that, um, it hasn't, you know, hit me in the gut or, you know, hurt a little bit to be in these circumstances and to feel like, you know, somebody looks at me that way. Um, but I do think that responding to it in a more emotionally balanced way helps the people around me and especially other women in, in, more importantly, my daughter to see, you know, that these adversities are going to be there and we need to kind of navigate through them and, and, and deal with them in a, in an eloquent way, because right. otherwise people are just going to look at you crazy and think that you're just complaining and whining, you know, like I, recently I had a, a circumstance where the best advice that the person, uh, someone else gave me, a peer of mine gave me was just come straight at it. Come to come out with it. Just call it out. Just have the conversation about it. Um, don't be afraid to, you know, to, to call a baby ugly. And I so, love that saying. right. And so while I um, don't think any baby is ugly, I do think that there that everybody has. Maybe I've seen a that, couple. <laughs> but I was trying to twist it into to a metaphor there, and it just wasn't working. <laughs> uh, but when I heard that advice, I said, you know what? Sometimes it's okay to be outward and, and, and just put it all out on the table because I think 
um, a couple of things can happen there. One, you can expose that concept, but then it gives you an opportunity to remind that person, like, you're still there. You still got their back. Like, you're still taking care of them. Um, and it almost makes them think about their own insecurity versus you telling them that you're insecure about that, if that makes sense. Um, because, yeah, like, I can see that. I, I'm not going to allow somebody else's insecurity to take me down. No. No, I mean, for a lot of reasons. Number one, it's just that's not healthy. But and number two, you also have a different responsibility at that too. You're you're trying to help them work through it, not be pulled into their to their mess. I would really being in a male dominated career field that I'm in now. I don't have as many females um, that I've regularly interact with, or you know, I think we only have two other, maybe three other females out of like almost a hundred people. Um, and I don't see them very often. And so that makes it kind of hard to, um, to kind of develop that. But, and then the, one of my previous jobs, I had a couple of the females that, that confided in me and I never really looked at it as like a female to female type mentorship. I just looked at it as like a female to female, or I mean like a person to person type mentorship. Cause there were also yeah. other male males that asked for it as well, you know? And so, um, I don't know, maybe that's something that I can leverage, and maybe more of a positive way to to kind of create that space for more. I don't know. Maybe I just don't like it to be unauthentic. So I think there could be a way to do it in an authentic way of, you know, having more. Because I'm looking for it, too. Having more female empowerment amongst one another. Yeah. I I, I know I have two, two beliefs on this. And I'm going to probably offend a handful of people. Like, nothing makes me more aggravated than people trying to create minority groups and say, oh, we're going to have a celebration for women today. And you're like, okay. We're going to celebrate this race of people today or this month or whatever. Like, what is the point? You know, I, I do have two sides to the, like, I'm two-faced in this. Like, what is the point in further isolating yourself when we're all just trying to get on the same page? Like, instead of saying, hey, let's celebrate this difference, why don't we find out like, let's all just celebrate the fact that everybody is together and working in harmony. There's a part of me that feels like that. But then I also think about kind of like what you just said, that there are everybody is going to carry some sort of insecurity. And if you can have a moment to sit back and identify that and and let everybody else know that, you know, we're all kind of equally wired in that sense that we have. We do carry some sort of uh, insecurity and how to combat that and overcome it. Um, I think that that's a powerful thing. So I, I feel kind of uh, conflicted with saying like, hey, let's not have these like stand down moments and these, you know, whatever, these awards or whatever they are uh, to celebrate a minority group. But I think there is something, there is some benefit to it. So if I could um, kind of give my perspective. So I think I fell a little bit into the trap. Um, like I said, for the first 10 years, I didn't feel like it was happening to me. I didn't feel like I experienced it. Therefore, it wasn't necessarily an issue. And so I think as people, um, it's our responsibility to, to stop and think like what you think in, exactly like you said, you know, that it's a, a stand down moment for us to talk about ways to combat circumstances or to reflect on some of the ways things were handled and maybe how we can do them better in the future. Um, and so I think that was a big eye opening thing for me to, to recognize that I had this blind spot where I wasn't 
uh, I wasn't seeking ways to help other females in, in a male-dominated workplace. I wasn't seeking ways to maybe combat some of the circumstances that, that were happening. That you I, weren't, I, yeah, in, you weren't teaming up. I, yeah. You weren't teaming it, up against something. It took me reading a book to realize how subtle some of these are and how, you know, we can be each other's support system. And don't get me wrong, I have just as many males that are supportive in, in, in this effort, and especially males that have um, have daughters. Those are have been some of my biggest supporters, you know, when we have these conversations. And I'm, I'm so happy to hear those stories and hear how much, um, you know, my, my fellow... Um, um, met, how other men are actually empowering their daughters to be successful and to overcome some of the adversities of being, you know, a minority in the workplace. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's, you know, stopping to think, you know, we all want to surround ourselves with people that have gone through like things. And we want yeah. to be able to take the time to reflect on those things and, and, and you know, be a better per person as a result. And be amongst company that we might feel a little bit more comfortable with and then recognize the people that have helped us make steps in the right direction to make us all a collective group. Um, and so I think for me, while I, I'm probably not going to lead up a Women's History Month anytime soon because... I'm still kind of learning some of the jobs and roles I have now and I don't have time for it. However, I would like to be a part of more opportunities, whether it's panels or whether it's just discussions or um, just kind of speaking up a little bit more um, to if I see something or, you know, kind of getting a better understanding of how to to make everything a little bit more inclusive um, for women and men. And wouldn't it be awesome if like some of those events if people were doing them, it, it didn't carry a stigma that it was only for that group. You know, like if you're going to do a woman's history month month or, you know, some sort of celebration like that, like I feel like they're never marketed in such a way that it's everybody feels welcome is when in all reality, if that that's what it should be, you know, like to, so that males with maybe a bias or something like that for this example, uh, you know, they could, they could show up and, and learn something and hopefully correct their bias. Um, I wish that there was something that just, I mean, that's an approach thing to whoever's going to head something up. They have to understand the intent, but like I, I market, think it, marketing piece, right? Yeah. Like, Hey, yeah, we're going to do this. Yeah. We're going to do this event and we're going to celebrate, uh, you know, things that women are doing. Like, I think right now, you know, the, like 99% of your audience is going to be female, you know? Right. And I wish it wasn't that way. You know, if you're going to, if you really are going to examine something and celebrate the success of it and look for best practices, uh, everybody can benefit from that. You don't, you don't have to meet a mold to be, to benefit from it. So I wholeheartedly agree. I, I never thought about it when I saw any, you know, advertisements for events or anything that that is definitely something where you can capture uh, more people than just one, you know, one target audience and you can get people to understand and kind of get on the same page. Um, I'm six foot six, white as hell and bald. If there was some sort of, uh, you know, Afri African American history month and I showed up, I would almost feel like my presence would be insensitive. Like, I feel like I carried that, that insecurity to go to that. And maybe that's just because it's something internal, but or maybe it's also the way that it's being portrayed. Um, what the event is for, who's hosting it, where's it happening, when's it happening, like those mm -hmm. types of things. 
Like it should be an all encompassing thing where somebody can go and learn and see another perspective on things and, and become more emotionally intelligent. But I, unfortunately I just don't, I think a lot of people miss the mark on that. So. Well, I think that's, um, especially as involved as you are in, in different organizations, I think that's definitely a, um, a good thing to, to sell and to, to kind of talk about, um, to market a little bit more or even make uh, additional events that help with that. Because uh, I think, you know, as yeah. people, we can all benefit from that. You know, it's fair to say that we all have room for improvement and blind spots and um, insecurities and all of that. And let's work together and, and make them better. And I think it's just because I also carry that that belief that it just further isolates. So it's going to isolate if it's like, hey, everybody that's that meets this mold, let's come over here and hang out. Is that what the intent is or is it to 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 share perspectives and awareness on things? So. I don't know. That's one for the ages. That's that's definitely not one that's gonna gonna get fixed overnight. But you know, from the inside out, rather. Yeah, I um, I I don't know. I I've heard a lot of you know comments or you know things, arguments or discussions about it, and and I like to think, again, it comes back to that what like what I said before is, um, I like to think that it's an opportunity for people to share successes or even failures at that and, and talk about ways to overcome them and, and ways to better, whether it's the workplace or the individuals or, or for their children or our children or whatever it is, just to be more successful and happier. And, and, and really the other piece when you talked about, you know, the awards and such, recognize those that have made the significant progress in the positive direction. Oh, Absolutely. Like, I mean, I, I think that's what they should all be, but, um, you know, like everybody has to have a day to celebrate their minority group or their, or an award to celebrate that. And that's, that's where I just get a little bit frustrated because it's like, <laughs> it is horribly, horribly. So I gave, you know, the same analogy about me, my physical appearance. If I had like a, a tall, bald, white guy award, like I would be insensitive. You know, you get all the awards <laughs> as a man, you get everything. I, I suppose, but maybe wholeheartedly yeah, no, disagree. I, I don't know. That is, yeah, that is a, a misconception as well. So, but we have hit a successful one hour and 21 minutes. And, uh, so we'll go ahead and wrap it up. And again, I can't thank you enough for, uh, taking the time to do this. And more importantly, sharing your perspectives and your experience. Uh, like I said, you know, I, I look up to you very highly and I hopefully anybody that listened uh, got some insight here and and kind of gained Melissa's wisdom. So thank you so much. Oh. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. I appreciate it. And um, I, I know I didn't say this yet, but you've said you've confided in me and looked up to me, but I, I feel the same way. You know, I think... Um, We've walked a similar journey over the past several years and, and helped each other along. And we've had a lot of people by our sides um, that, that were able to help us and we were able to help. And we made some really great friends along the way as a result of it. And it feels really good to have people in your corner and people kind of with the similar goals as as you. And um, you feel like they have 
your best interests at heart when you're talking to them. And, and I think we've developed that where, you know, you know that you can ask me advice or feedback or whatever it is, and I'm going to give you my honest opinion. And I feel the same way. Um, so it's, it's really awesome to have that. You know, I look at you as one of my mentors and that's um, something that we've been able to establish over the past three or four years. And, and I thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we'll get Melissa on here another time and we'll hit some more topics because there's a handful of things that I enjoy talking to you about. And this was just the tip of the iceberg. So until next time.